0: or at whatwasthatlike.com. of those bitches and I'm going to try to learn some more Griffin words my grandma would be ashamed <laughs> but we are so glad that you're here with us thank you for listening yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims because contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes what? although if you take AP classes in Florida you might still believe that yeah yeah anyway, these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news
1: is racist, alleged. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She's
0: one of the good
1: ones. (laughs) (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. So, uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, in early of January 1992, Celeste Simone Carrington from East Palo Alto, California, embarked on a crime spree, mm. murdering people mm. while burglarizing businesses in which she had previously worked as a janitor.
0: Oh me, oh my! Yeah, I feel like the name story. Simone is such a black name. <laughs> Young, gifted, and black. Simone. Uh, I don't know if she fits that criteria but simone is a very black name raven simone yeah nina simone Simone, biles simone biles yeah Yeah. i've never met a white simone have you anyway no sorry think i've never met a
1: simone actually
0: what oh wow okay (laughs) (laughs) well before we get into the simone of it all uh how are you doing i'm all right you know yeah uh, how was your week how was your week (laughs) did uh, I
1: just I'm still busy at work so yeah yeah, I know I
0: can I cannot imagine a 10 person job being done by one human being it's understandable yeah, it's, it's not
1: possible yeah. so yeah i'm kind of losing my mind
0: yeah well you know what it i i wonder if it feels good to be back because i it enjoyed does. the
1: break but i also love doing true crime with my friend Betty. yeah i missed it It's a lot of work, but I missed it. It is a lot of work, but I missed it as well. And happy to be back.
0: We had a wonderful break and uh, so glad to be back potting in your oídos. (laughs) That's Espanol for ear holes. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to get into some listener letters. Letters. Well, hello, angels. Oh, I've missed you. Thank you.
1: Yes, haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> How y'all been? How are your mom and him? <laughs> so what's in that bag, Beth? Well, we got a big old bag today. Oh, a big old bag, she yeah. says. Okay. And I wanted to say, please send in any questions or comments to Fruit Pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 935 And we may feature it on a future episode. All right. So what do we got? Uh, Well, I wanted to say thank you to Awkward Mama for your five star review. Yeah.
0: Whoa! I almost forgot. (laughs) How to push a button. Thank you, Awkward Mama.
1: <laughs> and we received a negative review from AFW1996, who felt that we were disrespectful uh-huh. to one of the victims in our story on Eugene Britt. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to apologize for any hurt that that caused. Yeah. We do try to be respectful of all of the victims. And AFW1996 wanted to let us know that the victim was her son's grandmother and that she was a beautiful woman who loved her two-year-old son she had parents a sister a niece and nephew and that she was loved
0: yes and thank you very much thank you for um giving us that information we don't always get details about um, yeah we we try sometimes
1: there's no information Mm -hmm. available so if if that's what happened if we just didn't say anything about the victim uh, that's probably why
0: yeah we apologize We're, we're we we don't intend to cause any harm no we don't um so
1: yeah we're gonna try to do better yeah um what else we got i wanted to say thank you to megan jennifer alex and aaron for filling up our mailbag so full. yeah can't wait (laughs) alex asked if we could cover the idaho murders and i am really fascinated by that crime yes but the story is outside of our scope the suspect is white and the case hasn't gone to trial yet we don't yeah. usually cover a case until after the perpetrator has been found guilty mm-hmm. because we don't want to join that bandwagon of web sleuths yeah, accusing random people yeah. of crimes and getting it wrong which I'm is I'm an expert what on this happened. except
0: nothing has been written about it
1: it's yeah. all speculation Spe- <laughs> We're yeah. the
0: speculation corner
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Aaron wanted to flag a small correction to our episode on You Young Chul we mm. mentioned that That often sex workers are tricked or coerced into sex work. But uh, Aaron said once it crosses that line into coercion, it's no longer sex work. It's Mm -hmm. human trafficking. Yeah. And that is a really good distinction.
0: Yes, absolutely. And
1: Aaron says that sex workers around the world are fighting to make clear to people that distinction. So they wanted to pass that along. And uh, sex work is always consensual.
0: Yes. And I just want to thank you, Aaron, um, very much. Um, (laughs) Aaron also suggested, um, supporting, um, finding an organization, some, somebody you can support and learn from who is a sex worker advocate wherever you are. If it's the internet, um, I, I went to Instagram and podcast to do my learning. Um, but I appreciate that. Um, the, You know, that was a loving way to let us know we messed up and yeah, um, just trying to do do better. So yeah. I recommend that for all of us. Um, you're not gonna believe this. Beth and Wendy are not perfect. (gasps) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) But we're all doing our best. So um we also have so many new supporters. Marissa L. And um, Marlene G. So many Marlenes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. But I this love Marlene.
1: Marlene, yeah.
0: Um, so I'm doing this in a Negro spiritual style.
1: Okay. Okay. Marissa
0: is a patriotic. And that's all I got. <laughs> <Thank> you, Marissa. <laughs> this is coming out during Black History Month, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, so Marlene, this is for you. I guess you'd say what can make me feel this way? Marlene, Marlene, Marlene. Marlene. Talking about Marlene. Marlene, Marlene. is a patriot. Uh. Anyway, we love you all so so much. Yeah, thank you. Any of this without your kind words, gentle corrections, constructive criticisms, and support. So keep it coming. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Um, We don't do this every episode, but for those of you who are new to Fruit Loops, um, we talk about race a lot. So before we get into our episode, we wanted to say that this is a podcast about true crime and people of color and those that are marginalized or othered. And true crime is difficult to talk about or hear about Sometimes race and the ills of our society can be too. What do you know? Um, uh, But it is just, it's part of the world that we live in. And as citizens of the earth, we got to talk about it. Or it never gets better. And yep. so we want this to be a safe space where we can have discussions, sometimes make mistakes, um, and uh, just talk about all the things. And we're all learning all the time. So, like I said, sometimes we make mistakes, but we just cop to it, we learn from it, and we keep it moving on our collective quest to be our best sexy
1: selves. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and we welcome our listeners to be a part of the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Fruit Loops Pod or email us at Fruit at gmail.com. All right, let's take a quick break,
0: and we're going to get into the story when we come back. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, Skinwalkers, Glitches in the Matrix, Cult Leaders, Missing 411, Night Marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3am the comedy horror podcast not for the faint or fragile of heart let's go Come play with us.
1: And we're back! (laughs) <laughs> Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today's subject is Celeste Simone Carrington, a black woman from East Palo Alto, California, who fatally shot two people and attempted to murder a third while burglarizing offices where she had previously worked as a janitor.
0: Mm hmm. The janitorial arts. Um, now, uh, it's time to get into some stats. Stay, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry I'm I'm refamiliarizing myself with the soundboard. Um so it's been a while, you know. It's been what <laughs> one, <laughs> 1 month. <laughs> so um this case takes place in the bay Uria in January and March of 1992. Carrington was a black murderess and robber. She killed by shooting people, execution style, actually pretty close. And uh, her crimes were motivated by lack. She had a partner, she had children, and she had no job <laughs> and needed money. Um, and there are there were three victims, two murder victims. So I want to say rest in power and peace to the victims that were a man named Victor Esparza, who was 34, and Carolyn Gleason, 35. Um. We uh, also want to uh, say love and light to those left in the wake of all of this. And currently, Carrington is on death row. One quick question. Okay. Did they release the name of the person who
1: survived? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. Alan Mark. That's right. That's yeah. right. I think still practicing? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, probably. I thought I heard that somewhere. Which yeah. is
0: dope. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the set. Ting, take us there, Beth.
1: Well, the setting is East Palo Alto, California, which is situated on the San Francisco Peninsula, roughly halfway between the cities of San Francisco and San Jose. The city of East Palo Alto was originally home to the Olone and Costanoan people. Mm. Spanish ranchers then invaded the area, followed by Caucasian speculators and settlers. For a time, Chinese laborers were also prevalent.
0: Uh, yeah, they um, just... It, the bay area is top of mind california in general because they they had floods they had a bunch of mass shootings on the lunar new year um, which is an asian celebration it's just so um thoughts and prayers to everybody in that community but um yes uh there's a big asian population so during the california gold rush in 1849 speculator isaiah woods bought two thousand acres in the area and named it Ravenswood. In 1868, rancher Lester Cooley purchased the land and the area informally became Cooley's Landing. Then Charles Weeks purchased five acres on the outskirts of Palo Alto in 1916 and around 1920 created the town of Runnymede. (laughs) Runnymede, (laughs) <laughs> and Ravenswood merged in 1925 and
1: became East Palo Alto. While often incorrectly assumed to be part of the city of Palo Alto, East Palo Alto has always been a separate entity since its founding. In the 1940s, East Palo Alto was a farming community with many Japanese flower growers and farmers. But once World War II began, the Japanese population was forced into internment camps and they did not return after the war.
0: Um, It's just, <laughs> there's so much horror horrible uh, history um, and things that were broken and done wrong. Um, I will say, though, that I believe that Japanese survivors of the internment camps, who lost everything, by the way, did get reparations in some form or another. That's good. Yeah. So in the 1950s, the farms were built over with cheap housing and many Black families moved in because unlike surrounding communities, East Palo Alto, which at the time was unincorporated, had few restrictive covenants. Got him. <laughs> Let's get in here real quick before they make rules saying we can. Yeah. <laughs> so by the 1960s, jobs and the possibility for higher education brought a second wave of black
1: folks. By the mid 1960s, East Palo Alto had gone from being almost all white to being majority black. In 1968, some of the younger East Palo Alto community members ran a campaign to rename the city Nairobi. Ooh, I love it. Reflecting its black ethnic makeup. But the initiative failed. God damn it. Yeah, for some reason the older people didn't didn't like it.
0: Oh, damn. Dang, yeah. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so despite being called East Palo Alto, the city is directly north of Palo Alto. What the heck? <laughs> um, it is also in San Mateo County, while Palo Alto is in Santa Clara County. Hey, that's where I was born. The two cities are separated by the San Francisquito Creek and the Bayshore Freeway, a.k.a. Route 101, the main artery between San Francisco and what would become the rest of Silicon Valley. But guess how they did it? <laughs> so you were
1: born in Santa Clara County Uh uh-huh. me too bitch are you serious I was born in Palo Alto
0: did we just become best friends again oh my god
1: <laughs> Whoa. so weird so
0: does your birth certificate say Santa Clara County on it because mine does it should yeah
1: because I was born in Palo Alto
0: <laughs> oh my god I love this serendipitous moment wow that's wow. crazy. That is pretty crazy. I mean,
1: I knew you lived in the Bay Area and you lived in San Jose and I lived in San Jose, but I didn't know you were born there.
0: Well, look at us. Look Learning at things us. About each other.
1: I, if it, I didn't know this was possible, but I love you more. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> Even more. <laughs> Even more. My heart is bursting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When the federal government widened Route 101, that deepened both the physical and cultural divide between the two areas, and it eliminated 45 of the community's leading businesses. When Menlo Park in Palo Alto annexed 25% of the community, it was deprived of both population and property tax revenues. Residents were also heavily taxed for county services such as sanitation, water, and recreation.
0: So you displace us... And then punish us for it. Take all your money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any way to make any money and uh, say
0: bye. Yeah. And, but who's making the money and who's paying the price?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm?
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll find out. You're not <laughs> going to believe this, but Zuckerberg has something to do with it. <laughs> so to counter this, the people of East Palo Alto attempted to incorporate five times between 1931 and 1981. They were finally successful in 1983. And East Palo Alto became one of California's youngest cities when it was incorporated in July of that year. But following incorporation, East Palo Alto struggled to stay afloat as the city grappled with revenue issues, which is common for mostly black and brown cities.
1: Yeah. It was the location of the county dump, a hazardous materials recycler, a pesticide plant, a smattering of shops, and not much else except a McDonald's. McDonald's. Yes. Guess what the largest revenue generator was? Was it McDonald's? It was McDonald's. You know
0: what's crazy is the,
1: this is a culture corner that's not in the script, but
0: there is a special place in Black people's, Black American people's hearts for McDonald's. There was, I remember a campaign when I was a kid, like McDonald's was a great place to work. You could get a good job and become a manager in just a few years. And the in the commercials, they had this guy, Calvin. Calvin was like, getting into trouble, but then Calvin went, got a job got a at job. McDonald's, and boy, oh boy, his life his turned life. around. Wow! <laughs> his Way, life to go, was Calvin. Fabulous. Way to go, Calvin! Way to go, Calvin! And in places that also have less revenue um, and food deserts, or can... <laughs> deserts are natural. Uh, this is food apartheid. <laughs> um, the, but don't have access to, like, good grocery stores with fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah. McDonald's is the game you know Yeah. so it makes a lot of sense well it tastes good too it also tastes very good <laughs> Um, but when people unfortunately, are like, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it is my dad used to say we would, go, we would go to McDonald's and he'd be like you got five dollars get whatever you want for five dollars and a Big Mac is like three. So what yeah. am I?
1: What am I gonna do? Um. Anyway,
0: <laughs> shout out to Calvin. I so, get
1: like a a dollar hamburger, a dollar fry, and like a ice cream. It's pretty cheap.
0: Oh, <laughs> I I would kill for a Big Mac. Like I I would actually physically hurt somebody if they were preventing me from getting a Big Mac. <laughs> Two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickets, onions and, 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 the and the sexy, seed, bun. seed bun. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So (laughs) shortages in funding coupled with a historically poor community translated to high rates of violent crime and gang violence. Again, there's that lack. And the prosperity that benefited the Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom of the late 1990s largely bypassed East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto was bringing in about one-fifth of the sales tax revenue per capita that Palo Alto and Menlo Park were. And this is another culture corner. Oh, my God. I'm just... So many culture The examples of this division of white communities from communities of color are plentiful in the United States. And actually, highways are just one way they do it. Sometimes they just flood the whole town with water and make it a lake. Um, But next time you're on a freeway or at, at a lake, think about those who were intentionally displaced, not only the Black and brown people of, you know, the 1990s and 19 whatevers, but the indigenous people who were displaced so that really white people uh, could have better opportunity and better everything while everybody else didn't get those things. In East Palo Alto, I guarantee black and brown residents of East Palo Alto have a lower life expectancy
1: than those in Silicon Valley. Yes, they do. They do. Actually, I read that somewhere.
0: Yeah. So anyway,
1: just think about it. All right. Um, (laughs) All right. Here we go. Be ashamed of yourself. I'm just kidding. (laughs) On that positive note.
0: (laughs) I hate it here. Can it be excused?
1: Between the years 1990 to 2000, East Palo Alto saw a 26% growth in population. In 1990, 43% of East Palo Alto's residents were Black, a result of redlining practices and racial deed restrictions in Palo Alto. This period also witnessed a 103% increase in Latinx residents. Wow. In the year 1990, the Latinx population stood at roughly 8,500. Mm. And by 2002, it had reached 17,000. Mm. There is also a significant Pacific Islander population.
0: Wow! All right. So by 1992, East Palo Alto had gained a reputation of being the U.S. murder capital, as it was the nation's leader in per capita murders that year, with 42 for a population of just 24,000. That was a big year for all of us. Mm-hmm. The police department's well-documented cases of corruption and misconduct. Oh my God! Don't get me started about Oakland PD, and oh my, they're all awful. Oscar Grant was killed on the BART train in the Bay Area. Um, But their cases of corruption and misconduct diminished relations between residents and law enforcement, perpetuating violence. Um, Fun fact, the movie Dangerous Minds featured students from East Palo Alto. And there's a new book out, by the way. I should just put this in the shout out section. It's called The Riders, about Bay Area cops who did horrific, violent things. And they went to trial And it was a hung jury every time. Oh God! And so they just got away with murder and corruption and violence. They just kept
1: doing it. Yeah. Uh,
0: 911. Just kidding. No, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you guys.
1: (laughs) But by the beginning of the new millennium, the East Palo Alto police department had switched towards a community based policing strategy. A succession of mayors and chiefs of police encouraged community police relations, strengthening the bonds between faith based groups, organizations, and law enforcement. By 2017, violent crime had dropped more than 60 percent from 1990 levels and murders had fallen from 42 in 1992 to one in 2007, a decrease of more than 97 percent.
0: Wow. So an approach, a a very simple approach, had a very profound effect. Yeah. Instead of let's give them more money for their budget so that they can, they can be, milit- more be more and- yeah, corrupt and violent <laughs> and all those things. Uh, yeah. It doesn't work. If more police made people safer, then America would be the safest country in the whole fucking world. And we're yeah. not! Yeah. <laughs> so today, over 25% of East Palo Alto, 400 plus acres has been bulldozed and replaced with brand new housing and brand name retail establishments and yoga studios. <laughs> High income <laughs> tech professionals moving in to new developments, including employees from Google and Facebook, have begun to eliminate the cultural and economic differences between East Palo Alto and Palo Alto.
1: East Palo Alto now faces new challenges due to gentrification. Property prices have increased, placing a strain on residents and causing many to leave the area. Developments set aside as low-income housing have been instrumental for the residents of East Palo Alto. As of the 2020 census, the population of East Palo Alto was approximately 30,000.
0: or wherever fine podcasts are found. So now we are going to get into the early life of Celeste Simone Carrington. Uh, So I'll start. Celeste Carrington was born into poverty in Philadelphia to parents who barely provided for her. According to a next-door neighbor from Philly, as a girl, Celeste was frequently left in charge of her younger brothers and sisters, and on occasion, she and her siblings were locked out of the house. At times, the children had nothing to eat, and Celeste would dig through garbage cans behind restaurants or beg neighbors for food.
1: A cousin who lived with the family for two years recalled that Celeste's mother was seldom home, and when she was home, she beat Celeste and her siblings. Through a common wall, a neighbor could hear Celeste's mother beating her. Mm. The cousin saw Celeste's father only twice.
0: As a child, Celeste was anxious and withdrawn. And actually, this is pretty common for young Black girls in general. But... Um, who are like suffering from mental health issues Uh um, and we have to hide it. And (laughs) that's why I'm so funny today. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) it's a a defense mechanism. I just became funny instead of a killer. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so um, Celeste later reported to a psychiatrist that beginning at the age of seven, she was regularly sexually abused by her father. When she was 14, she became pregnant by her father and had an abortion.
1: As a young adult, she moved to California where she went to community college. There, she excelled at track and field and competed internationally in shot put. That's amazing. It is, especially like, with that horrible childhood. I know. That she was I, able to do that.
0: Yeah. I wish the next part of the story was. Was And better. then she went yeah. on to coach and write a book and become a motivational speaker. Yeah. But no. Um, but no. So she had no criminal record and had been working as a janitor, but became unemployed in December of 1991 when she was fired from her job for stealing checks. At that time, people noticed that her behavior changed. Um, she was less cheerful, um, began to put on weight, she stayed home, and no longer engaged in activities in the neighborhood. So it sounds like the depression is really
1: starting um, to hit. It, yeah, yeah, starting to hit. Celeste was living with her girlfriend Jackie, a single mother with three children, in an apartment in East Palo Alto. She was supporting Jackie and her children and often took care of the children. According to later testimony, Jackie made, quote, frequent financial and emotional demands on Celeste, unquote. I believe this was part of the defense's argument. So who knows how true this is, but that's what they said. And I found it interesting uh, that Jackie's gender is often misreported in articles or not even mentioned. What? She's just referred to as her partner or her lover. And I had to like really dig to find out anything about Jackie oh Um, like even her gender yeah wow she was sometimes referred to as Celeste's quote-unquote boyfriend Hmm. and in some articles she's referred to demeaningly as her quote lesbian lover unquote oh my god it just you know just the way it was like a backhanded thing yeah her lesbian lover you know my goodness Yeah. yeah And why can't they say girlfriend? I don't get it.
0: (laughs) I don't get it either. I'm really troubled by that. You know, we always comment on how black people and queer people are described in the articles that we read at the time. Mm -hmm. And I understand we have to look at it with compassion, like for the language at the time. But that does sound backhanded. Maybe maybe the language. But it's the 90s of the Bay Area. The light was there. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to
1: say, you know, it was the 90s. So it was a different time. But still, I I found that troubling. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So now we're going to get into the timeline. So with no money coming in to support Jackie and her children, Carrington apparently made the decision because she felt she had to, to burglarize some businesses. Um, And burglary is the one where people don't have to be there. You just take their stuff. Right. You just take stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, And so she had kept the keys to several offices where she had previously worked as a janitor. She is believed to have been involved in at least a dozen burglaries in San Mateo County during the early months of 1992, all of them with the same method of operation. Using her stolen keys and a crowbar, Carrington would enter businesses that she used to clean and go through the desks looking for cash or anything else of value. In
0: early January of 1992, she broke into Blackard Designs and NDN Enterprises and stole checks from both. Remember checks?
1: Yes, <laughs> later, <I did>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> later, one of those checks would come back to haunt her. About a week later, on the night of January 17th, 1992, she went to a Dodge
1: dealership in Redwood City where she'd previously worked. She was aware that the back entrance to the building was often left unlocked. She went to the Dodge dealership with gloves and a crowbar, which she used to force open several interior doors. Among other items, she stole a 357 magnum revolver and 5 bullets from an employee's desk.
0: Why did the person at this job don't have a, a gun in the desk? I was wondering the same thing. Uh, <laughs> what? And also, I mean If you find it, I mean, it was probably like, this is great. Now I can really step up my robbery game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on the night of January 26, 1992, Carrington went to a shoe factory in San Carlos. She had also previously worked there as a janitor and had kept a key. That night, she borrowed a car from her neighbor and drove to the shoe factory, armed with the 357 Magnum revolver she had stolen from the Dodge dealership.
1: She used her key to enter the building, accidentally setting off the alarm. Victor Esparza, 34, who is cleaning the facility, found her in an office cubicle. She told him that she was also from the janitorial company scheduled to work there that night and must have accidentally set off the alarm.
0: You know what? I, I just it occurred to me that um, the people who clean offices and things like that at, in the evening when everybody has left are so, sort of invisible and yeah. so we i had never heard of this case before we'll, we'll get into that in our takeaways but that is why celeste was invisible and yeah. so so was victor right. so Esparza asked her to call the building manager to report the alarm took out his wallet and handed her the telephone number for the manager carrington pulled out the gun and ordered him to give her his wallet which contained about 50 dollars in cash and an atm card she then demanded the pin for his atm card which he wrote down for her as carrington walked out of the cubicle she turned around and shot victor in the
1: She later attempted to use Victor's ATM card, but the pin he gave her didn't work. According to police, Carrington later said that she did intend to kill Esparza Mm. and that the experience was exciting and made her feel powerful.
0: It's a really sick thing, but we just heard about this woman's childhood, Mm -hmm. right? And so not an excuse but no, definitely but an sense. explanation. Yeah. yeah. Investigators who examined Victor's body at the crime scene concluded that based on the position of the body and the clothing, the pools of blood on the carpet, the blood on the clothing and an abrasion on the forehead, Victor was shot from a distance of between six inches and one foot. He had probably been on his knees with his arms raised in a defensive position when he was shot. He likely fell forward and then rotated onto his back.
1: The forensic pathologist who performed the autopsy on Victor Esparza, later testified that Victor died of a gunshot wound to the head, inflicted from a distance of approximately six inches. The angle of the gunshot wound was not inconsistent with the victim having been shot while kneeling and looking up at the shooter.
0: On March 11, 1992, Uh, Oh, we're also approaching L.A. riots time. (laughs) Anyway, uh, on March 11th, 1992, Carrington went to an office building for a Palo Alto real estate firm located on California Street. This was another one where she had previously worked as a janitor in the building and kept a key. A neighbor gave her a ride to the building what why uh i thought you didn't have a job anymore i need a ride
1: to the building that i can i gotta
0: go pick up a check um remember that was a thing like you pick up a check from your last job yep yep maybe maybe that's what she told him
1: told the Uh, neighbor yeah yeah so
0: she brought with her a pair of gloves a screwdriver and the same 357 magnum revolver she had used to kill victor esparza
1: but her key didn't work There were two cars in the parking lot and she saw two janitors working in the building. So she waited for them to leave before using the screwdriver to open the door. She walked through the building looking for money, but found none.
0: That's when Carolyn Gleason, 36, a property manager, entered the building and went to her office. Carrington watched her and then cornered her in the copy room. Uh... I was just horrified by being cornered in the copy in room. In a copy <laughs> room,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, no. There's only one way in and one yep, way out. Yep, always. Yeah. She pulled out her gun as Carolyn begged her to put it away.
1: Carrington later claimed that she didn't want to hurt Carolyn, but she was nervous and she accidentally pulled the trigger. Hmm. After shooting her, Carrington took Carolyn's keys and about $400 from her desk. She then went outside to the parking lot and got into Carolyn's car where she found her purse, which contained her ATM card and the pin. <gasps> that is odd to yeah. have. the.
0: Maybe that was a thing people did in the 90s was have, yeah. their pin have a pin close to them with the, yeah. instead of in their mind. Yeah. Um that and also wow, four hundred dollars from her desk. Yeah. Maybe she was she a did, property
1: manager, yeah, so maybe she was collecting, collecting rent. Yeah. You're
0: right. Okay, thank you. So she drove the car to a bank in Palo Alto where she made two unsuccessful attempts to withdraw money from Carolyn's account, but was able to withdraw two hundred dollars from an ATM at a seven eleven store and another one hundred dollars from a second bank. She left the car in a hospital parking
1: lot and took a taxi back to her apartment. An autopsy indicated that Carolyn 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 died as a result of a single gunshot to the head, fired from a very close range. A forensic expert said that based upon the position of Carolyn's body, the height of the blood spatters, Mm. the angle of the gunshot wound, and the presence of gunshot residue on her sleeve, Carolyn was kneeling and had tried to cover her face when she was shot.
0: Five days later, on the evening of March 16th, Carrington broke into a medical office building in Redwood City, where once again she was surprised by someone in the building. Building. This time, it was Dr. Alan Marks, a pediatrician who was working late.
1: As before, she had brought with her a key she had retained from her prior employment at the building as a janitor. A pair of gloves and the same 357 Magnum revolver she had used to kill Victor and Carolyn. The doors to the building were still unlocked when she arrived at 5.30 p.m.
0: According to Carrington, after discovering that she was unable to open any of the internal offices with her key, she hid in a closet for a few hours hours waiting for... uh, Yeah.
1: Wow. That's patience. That
0: is... (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't have did that. No. But uh, waiting for everyone to leave for the day. After the building cleared out, Carrington emerged from the closet and spent some time in the building looking for valuables.
1: Dr. Alan Marks was leaving his office after a late appointment when Carrington saw him and decided to rob him. According to Carrington, when Dr. Marks saw her, he quote unquote went crazy and the two struggled over the gun.
0: You know what's also chilling about? She just saw him and decided that she was going to rob him. And that's terrifying because that it is. can happen to anybody anybody yeah but just imagine if everybody had everything they needed <laughs> to survive and thrive then they wouldn't then need to
1: rob yeah. i
0: don't know if that would be um their first thought right. so during the struggle she pulled the trigger three times resulting in one misfire and two shots marks managed to force her out of the office and lock the door yes she fled the building taking with her some access cards and prescription drugs
1: dr marks had a different version of the shooting according to his account as he was was about to leave his office, Carrington pushed the door open and came barreling through, causing the door to push him to the side. He recognized her as a former janitor in the building and began screaming and waving his hands.
0: Carrington was standing about three feet from him, holding a gun in her right hand. She pointed it at his upper body, and he heard gunshots. He was shot on the left shoulder, left thumb, and right forearm. After being shot, Dr. Marks collapsed to his knees and Carrington left. He closed the door behind her and called 911. It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. So now we are going to get into the investigation and the arrest. What do you got for us, Beth?
1: Well, in the days after shooting Dr. Marks, Carrington is said to have continued on with her burglary spree. But on March 16th, a man named Christopher Mledineo was arrested for attempting to cash a check from Blackard Designs. Mm. which, if you remember, uh, Carrington had uh, stolen checks from. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So back on January 10th, he had uh, tried to cash this check, which had been made out to him in the amount of $2,000.
0: Mm. That's a big number, Yeah. Um, To try to get away with. Um, But maybe he didn't know. Yeah. So he told the authorities that Carrington had given him the check and asked him to cash it for her because she didn't have an ID. Officers had Mila Deneo make a phone call to Carrington during which she admitted she had stolen that check.
1: On March 19th, an officer spoke with a former employer of Carrington's who reported that as part of her employment, Carrington had a master key to the Blackard Designs building, and it was possible she had duplicated the key. The two checks stolen from NDN Enterprises were still outstanding. She said,
0: It's a possibility. Yeah, (laughs) it's possible. I might have did that. Yeah, (laughs) on uh, March twentieth, nineteen ninety two. Like you'll get in less trouble if you maybe did
1: it than if you were just. Oh, it was her employer who said that she might have done it. Okay, yeah, but but your story's funnier. Uh,
0: Okay, thank you. (laughs) So on March twentieth, nineteen ninety two, an interagency meeting. Whoa. No (laughs) messy hoedness. So, an interagency meeting was held with law enforcement personnel from several jurisdictions. Whoa!
1: Unprecedented! I
0: can't believe it, <laughs> including Los Altos, Redwood City, Sa- and San Carlos to coordinate the investigations of several crimes the authorities believed Carrington had committed. I just threw my wig <laughs> on the ground. We You're never so see this. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. <laughs> wow. Later that same day, Palo Alto officers accompanied the Los Altos officers when the latter officers. <laughs> that is a lot of officers. Too many. (laughs) I don't like it. Okay, so they all got together and executed a Los Altos search warrant at Carrington's residence. During the search, investigators found evidence that connected Carrington to several different crimes. And my understanding is they had a search warrant for one particular thing. They started coming across other things, so they stopped searching and got another search warrant for other crimes.
0: Wow, they don't usually do that either. Wow, I don't even know what to say. Um, (laughs) This should be the norm, but I'm so shocked. By it, (laughs) I, oh, my God, you mean to tell me that the police did their job like did their job properly? What? (laughs) What is this? What world is this? So they found the keys to the Redwood City Dodge dealership, the gun that had been taken from the dealership, which was the same weapon used to shoot Victor Esparza, Carolyn Gleason and Dr. Alan Marks. Carolyn's pager, remember those, and purse, and the key to the building in which she was shot. A box from Carolyn's office that held petty cash, Ah, a piece of paper with Carolyn's pin on it, and a drug kit taken from a doctor's office in the medical building in which Dr. Marks was shot.
1: Carrington was arrested and transported to the Redwood City Police Station. She waived her Miranda rights, at which point a Palo Alto investigator told her that although she was arrested for the Los Altos burglaries, they wanted to talk to her about the murder of Carolyn Gleason,
0: I don't know nothing about no murders.
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) So uh, to encourage her to talk about it, he suggested that the murder might have been an accident or that there might have been other mitigating circumstances. Quote, what if she scared you? She confronted
1: you or maybe there was someone else with you, unquote. Shortly after, she was questioned by detectives from Redwood City and San Carlos. As the interview progressed, one of the officers told Carrington that he wanted to be able to tell the district attorney that she had helped and assisted the officers in solving all the crimes she committed.
0: I don't know why they say that. To people, because I don't really believe it goes fa- as far as you might think it does in your mind when you're under pressure after yeah, having know. done I'm something not, wrong.
1: I have not and, been in that situation, thank God. So, uh, well, I watch a lot I, of I don't first know. 48. Yeah. Oh, actually, and, and I just they don't always how say I that. would feel. Just do the right thing.
0: Just, yeah. you know, I, I yeah, you're right. We don't know how how we would feel. But I was just I'm just always baffled. Like, I don't think police officers care about people. <laughs> and so it's weird to say that I'm going to say you helped. I'm going to say you did good. I'm going to yeah. let the district
1: attorney know. Well, it's me. a way it's a, a, a way tactic. of persuading. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. But you're not going to get me with that. Uh, so, so she eventually confessed to killing Carolyn Gleason and to shooting Dr. Marks. She continued to deny killing Victor Esparza, even though the officers informed her that Carolyn Gleason and Victor Esparza were shot with the same gun. Hours later, she did confess to killing Esparza. And my understanding is her, her interrogation went on for like a longer than a work day, <laughs> like wow, nine wow.
1: hours or something like that. Wow. So now we are going to get into the trial. What the what, Beth? The trial was open and shut with overwhelming evidence. And on June 16th, 1994, Celeste Simone Carrington was convicted of the first degree murders of Victor Esparza and Carolyn Gleason, plus 12 other felony counts, including the attempted murder of Dr. Marks, burglary and robbery special circumstances.
0: During the penalty phase of the trial, the prosecution presented victim impact evidence, which... Uh, You love to see it. So Victor Esparza's sister and aunt with whom he had been residing at the time of his death testified that the type of person he was and their relationship with him. Other relatives who resided in Mexico at the time of Victor's death, his parents, a sister, and a brother also testified.
1: Carolyn Gleason's two brothers-in-law testified about the effect her death had on them and their families, and in particular, Carolyn's husband. Carolyn's mother had died and her father was hospitalized at the time of Carrington's trial.
0: In mitigation, the defense presented the testimony of a clinical psychologist, Dr. Myla Young, who testified that although Carrington had an average IQ, there was evidence of a brain abnormality and learning disorders. Dr. Young could not identify the cause of the abnormality, which could have been caused by a genetic abnormality, trauma, or illness. I'm guessing trauma. I'm guessing trauma, too. And I wonder why she didn't say trauma at the time. Maybe we don't value the impact that trauma has. Well, probably because
1: she didn't know. Um, I mean, it could have been caused by genetic abnormality, trauma or illness. It was probably trauma, but we don't really know. We don't. But I, I
0: know that doctors like this testify all the time and she knows what the jury is going to say. Yeah. So if the defense or what the jury is is going to think, what will persuade them, especially if she's for the defense. And I so what you're saying. it's yeah. interesting to me that she didn't, that
1: she didn't specify. give the jury. So, yeah.
0: Because yeah, if you don't give a jury like an anchor, Right. Um, they will know
1: she might have, but we just didn't hear about it because you know we're reading articles about it.
0: Good point. Okay, I'll
1: back off. (laughs) (laughs) Back (laughs) off, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) You just (laughs) leave Dr. (laughs) Young (laughs) alone. Oh my
0: god! Oh
1: my god, it was the 90s. According to Dr. Young, the abnormality affected the left side of Carrington's brain, which interfered with her ability to, quote, see the bigger picture, unquote, to think ahead and plan and to be able to recognize and change behavior that is unsuccessful. Dr. Young also diagnosed Carrington as having a current and longstanding depression and bipolar disorder. A psychiatrist, Dr. George
0: Woods, testified that Carrington was genetically predisposed to depression and had, quote, environmental difficulties, unquote and that both conditions contributed to her mental state at the time of the offenses.
1: In Dr. Woods's opinion, at the time she committed the crimes, Carrington suffered from profound depression. She experienced increasing economic pressures and was unable to provide adequately for her family. She felt worthless and hopeless and had become withdrawn and isolated.
0: The jury rejected the mitigating circumstances and Carrington was sentenced to death. Um... I just, I don't know what to say about that. So yeah. in 2009, on appeal to the California Supreme Court, Carrington's lawyers argued that police had illegally searched her apartment and had extracted her confession with false promises of leniency. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah,
1: that's why I, I left that stuff in about the interrogation because that was part of they her argument. They worked her hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and uh, so now she's convicted, she's sentenced. Where are they now,
1: Beth? Tell us. Well, her appeal was rejected, as, mm. as usual in these cases. Yeah. The court affirmed her convictions and upheld her death sentence. At the time, Celeste Carrington, at 47, was one of only 15 women among 683 condemned prisoners in California. Mm. Today, at 60 years old, Carrington is being held at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla.
0: I wonder how many of those women
1: were BIPOC. Um, Probably
0: a lot. Probably most of them. Yeah. Uh, So in March of 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a moratorium on imposing capital punishment through executive order. That means that while the death penalty is still technically on the books, no one is being put to death by the state of California. So now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we think made Celeste Simone Carrington snap.
1: What do you got for us, Beth? Well, uh, Carrington's childhood was horrific. It mm-hmm. was it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So of course it played into her later decisions. It's just obvious. Yeah. 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 At, add on to that financial stressors, depression, a brain abnormality, and learning disorders, and you have a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I believe that the murders did make her feel powerful, like we talked about, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she committed the first one, what the, the decision-making was behind killing Victor Esparza, but once yeah. she did it, I think it was easy and maybe even thrilling for her to commit the subsequent murder of Carolyn Gleason. Yeah. In the attempted murder of Dr. Marks. Yeah. She was depressed and feeling pressure to take care of her family financially. I, I mean, we all do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is <laughs> most of us don't, don't. Don't go to these extremes. Exactly. But I, I can't, I, I you know, I'm not in her shoes. I can't even imagine mm-hmm. uh, just thinking about her childhood. Yeah,
0: um, Like you can't, I, I, I mean, I, I what she did was awful right. um and did I do will I be shouting it out today my new favorite podcast mm-hmm. um I think I will um switch what I have on there but okay. um it's about there is this uh reform school that was just for black kids in Alabama and most of the kids who were sent to that school in the 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s are um in prison for oh my god and oh my god yeah it because they were fucked up as children yeah <laughs> and um so wow that is definitely uh <laughs> telling
1: you what not to do <laughs> jesus exactly
0: exactly so i had a lot of thoughts um it was it, it kind of blew me away like i had to do a double take on the facts when she was raped by her father and had Mm -hmm. an abortion by the way you know who else was raped by a family member and um had a a baby who was ended up being stillborn oprah Winfrey.
1: oh yeah that's yeah
0: um and black female maternal mortality is a epidemic in the united states and um i It's just another another trauma that she experienced. It with her her body not being her own, and uh, it just being overtaken by men and abuse and beatings um but feeling i want- powerless feeling powerless so i also um was thinking that um people noticed i mean we heard from the neighbors and family members that this young child was being harmed and she became pregnant at a young age she was eating out of trash cans yeah. and in need and no one saved her like yeah she wasn't worthy of, save, of saving. And yeah. you know why we didn't get a Black princess who was a frog for the whole movie until 2009? Well, <laughs> it's because the world doesn't see Black and brown girls as worthy of saving when they're in distress. Yeah, it yeah. fucking sucks. And it things could have gone yeah. a lot differently if somebody had... Tried to save her. There was no yeah. mention of that anywhere, and I was, no. I was. I mean, <laughs> what? It was just like,
1: oh yeah, she, you know, yeah, they were poor. She it was really sucked. Yeah I, yeah, I totally like such terrible. But, yeah,
0: I just, I <laughs> like that's a child. <laughs> yeah. So, and if you think about it, what led her to rob and kill it was an intense like lack. Like yeah. she didn't. She didn't set and out to rob powerless. because it was so yeah. fun. Yes, she was yeah. powerless. And if you think of a little girl that was. She would, I think, have done almost anything to never ever be in that position again. Yeah. Uh, It was that bad. And that's why, that's, I think, what contributed to her decision making. Yeah. yeah. Her decision making at the time. She was poor. She was black. She's also dark skinned. um, She's bigger. She's queer. um, And she was a woman essentially that didn't matter. Um, And she was seen as and treated like nothing until she did something. Underline, bold, and increase the font on the word "something." <laughs> that she did something really horrible. Yeah. Um, what even is even more sad uh, about young Celeste um, is that there are more young Celestes in the world. Yeah. And also, just thinking about the victims who were at work. Right. She robbed working people. Yeah. Um, people who are also just trying to make it, just like she was. Right. Um. But. Didn't deserve what they got, um, and um, were really just trying to live um, live their lives. They're
1: just living their lives, yeah. Exactly. I
0: cannot imagine being killed at work. Like, no, work is already pretty uh-huh. painful <laughs> and so to also like i just that is please don't the, kill me Howard. oh my god
1: <laughs> what that
0: is just like the worst dose of like a shit sandwich that's terrible so um in and, and businesses have insurance for this kind of thing right so she didn't have to hurt people like the businesses would have been fine and they would they could get that back it would be all right yeah Yeah. some so just it bothered me that she hurt other working class people just trying to get a dollar get to the next day um it's fucked up and again rest in power to the victims and um to the communities uh rest in uh, or left in the wake of this terrible um case just love and light y'all yeah so um now we're gonna get into how not to get murdered if
1: you love true crime <laughs> no, that's <laughs> terrible that's terrible
0: <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> let me get myself together if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you <laughs>
1: This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So um, we
0: got a fire fucking ass tip from a <laughs> listener. And I'm just going to read what they said. Hey friends, my name's Hudson. I love the show. Been listening about a year now. And I finally have a tip to share. Woo-hoo! We were so excited. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember, but my reaction was like, <gasps> I like dropped everything in my hands because this, hang on, this hold on to your tip, butt. Yeah. <laughs> so if you keep a bat around for protection, place a tube sock on the business end that way, God forbid, you should ever need to use it in an intruder on an intruder, and they are strong enough to grab the bat. They will grab a sock. It will slip off. They will fall back, and you could set yourself up for another swing. Oh my God! That's a great idea. Yeah, I just I went and put socks on all the bats in my house. I I like. I want to marry this tip. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Hudson. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hudson. If you if you want to send us a tip, please do. We all got to look out for each other, right? So if you can think of anything um, let us know. that would help keep us all in the Fruity Nation safe, let us know. Yeah. So now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by BIPOC people, any other people, or any true crime goodies. Um, okay, the podcast is unreformed and it is a podcast about um they focus on one particular period but the school has been around for a really long time like uh uh, over 100 years and what they would do in montgomery alabama is place children at this alabama industrial school for negro children and kid black kids could get arrested for anything being out past curfew um looking at somebody weird, um, anything. And then they would send them instead of to juvenile detention to here. And there was rampant sexual abuse, physical oh abuse, God. kids died. Um, it's it's kind of similar to the um, the indigenous um, schools. Schools, yeah. yeah. Um, but just the, they just harmed children with impunity. And it's still open. It has a different name now, but it's still open wow. today. So they wow. focus on this one horrible period so it's unreformed the story of the alabama industrial school for negro children wherever you get your podcast and then i also just wanted to shout out an oldie but goody this movie came out in 2019 but if you're like gentrification i hear so much about that but i don't know what it looks like <laughs> well check out the last black man in san francisco it's a beautiful movie about gentrification in the back black in the Bay Area specifically, and it's about San Francisco and the city itself. Is it like a character in the story? Um, you can get it on YouTube, Showtime, Hulu, Paramount Plus, Prime, or even Redbox. Remember those? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, that's what I got. What right. you got? Well, I wanted to shout out The Last of Us on HBO Max. Bless your heart. <laughs> this show, uh, I love zombies, but this yeah. is. Zombies on a whole nother level. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, my God. It's based on the video game, which I never played. But I had no idea. I I guess people loved it. Yeah. Yes. The series is set 20 years after a mass fungal infection, which causes its victims to transform into zombie-like creatures. It Sounds stars funny. Pedro Pascal, who is Latinx, and Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah! She played Liana Mormont. Yeah, I love her. That.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've only seen two episodes because that's all there is at the moment, but mm-hmm. uh, it's great so far. I'm loving oh, it. so, yeah. so
0: great. And Pedro Pascal?
1: He could get yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> he could get it for sure. He, yeah.
0: Whoa. bye bye already. <laughs> <old> <laughs> um so, And then
1: if you're looking for comedy, yeah. Shang Wang Sweet and Juicy is on Netflix, is hilarious. <laughs> oh. Right? It's a yeah, this Booking was recommended show? by Minnie a while ago mm-hmm. and I finally got around to watching it.
0: Mm -hmm. Shang
1: Wang is a Taiwanese-American stand-up comic raised in Texas, so he's got kind of a southern accent. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Oh um, dang. yeah he's real funny okay i love
0: all of this yeah, all <laughs> So right. okay so that is unreformed uh wherever you get your podcast the last black man in san francisco streaming mostly everywhere and um the last of us on hbo max as well as shang wang sweet and juicy on netflix no <laughs>
1: yeah it's over yep, it's over
0: can we call the police? This is terrible. <laughs> this is a crime. one. This... You're going to jail, Beth. Uh, so... <laughs>
1: That's the end of this show, I'm kind of sad. <laughs> but in the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use FruitLoopsPod Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Woo-woo! Yeah, yeah.
0: So, this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So, until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.